everyone. Today you have Jake and Seth, and we are going to discuss what has been called by some critics the greatest movie of all time, Event Horizon, a 1997 film by Paul W.S. Anderson. And Seth thinks I'm joking, but I am not, and that critic is me. <laughs> uh, just kidding. Um, so this film was made in 97. It's got a great cast. Lawrence Fishburne, Sam Neill, Captain Quinlan, Jolie Richardson, Jason Isaacs, Sean Pertwee. It's literally an all-star cast or people who would co- go on to become all-stars. But it was not successful. It was made for $60 million. It made 26 at the box office. That oh, is wow. very bad. That means that people... And so $60 million is how much they spent making the film usually you spend anywhere to 50 to 100 percent on marketing it they didn't on this we'll get into that later so they probably took a bath of about over 60 million dollars anywhere from 50 to 60 million dollars on this. that's film. brutal that is brutal brutal and it got panned by critics with uh i think it's 26 percent on rotten tomatoes not very well received and yes 28 percent on rotten tomatoes and I, I don't think the fan the fan ratings are much nicer. Although, that being said, this film does have a cult following. I'm be part of that cult, and uh, <laughs> I, it's it has had a second life on DVD, and it's now entered this weird cult space for people from our generation. I think I'm trying to pass it on to my brother and his friends. It's not working so far. Um, <laughs> Seth, t- tell me. Yeah. Tell me uh, I yeah, I, as a high schooler, I do remember liking this movie, and I've talked to a few other people where it's like this movie really caught their attention for some reason, and it's not. I'm not totally sure what it is about it. Um, what I do know on my rewatch, um, it, it occurred to me that like this movie really is a is like a hodgepodge of a bunch of different older movies. I mean, there's a lot from Alien that it's taking in terms of how it builds the characters. There's a lot from, um, there's this, have you ever seen the Russian movie called Solaris? It's a Tarkovsky movie. It's kind of this famous Russian uh, response to 2001, kind of. No, but I read the Wikipedia, so I know what it's about. Okay. That, well, that's good. Enough. It is a, like a three-hour Russian movie. Um, very, very interesting movie. I do recommend it. To, Didn't they anyone, remake but, it with, Clean, with Clooney a couple they years They did. Ago? That remake is a very American remake. The The movie is distinctly a Russian movie with a Russian viewpoint, and so it's, that remake is very weird uh, to me. Um, but but anyway, the, the heart of that movie, Solaris, is sort of like, instead of dealing with these external conflicts the way that uh, 2001 works, it's all about dealing with internal conflicts. And these people, when they get to this place in space, suddenly they're having to deal with uh, these dead uh, relatives they used to know or any anything that was like deep inside their hidden monsters that ends up having uh coming out in, in, in the spaceship that they're on and stuff and it's this kind of like very frightening thing of like this this planet that they found is making them deal with their inner demons and this whole metaphor about that and so this movie <laughs> event horizon kind of does a popcorn version of that where it's like suddenly you know the the woman's son is appearing or like uh uh sam neill's wife keeps appearing with her eyes missing and stuff and it's like uh lawrence fishburne you know he has this guy that like burned up at one point and uh he didn't save him and, and that's kind of his ghost kind of like flatliners in a way 
Uh, but it's like, it occurred to me that it's like someone kind of saw Solaris and then just kind of like took that and like did kind of more of a popcorn version of it. There's also, I mean, some of the sets too are like echoing 2001 stuff. And so it's like, at the end of the day, I was like, it was a very like Hollywood hodgepodge of a lot of different sci-fi movies, I thought. I was going to say, I, I agree. It's funny. I didn't, now that you say that, I totally see what you're saying about Solaris. Yeah. And um, I'm sorry, what was the other film you mentioned? Um... I think in 2001, yes. Alien, Alien, it's like definitely no, the way they're building. No, no, there was another horror, there was another film you mentioned that it was referencing, um, Flatliners. Oh, and yeah. So for me, I was thinking yeah. the movies that came to my mind was The Shining, Hellraiser, and really from Aliens and Alien, a com- combination of all of yeah. them. And yeah, I mean, I, what it's borrowing, I, I think you could have gotten there with, I think you could have gotten to where they got in this movie through the path I just laid out, the path you just laid out or a bunch of other paths. Cause it's clearly bringing a lot of disparate, a lot of different ideas together, which I like, I appreciate. And that's, that's it's like, I, like yeah, it, I realized it's kind of like home cooking or something where it's like, I do like all those movies. And so to kind of get like a remix of it and with, you know, with Lawrence Fishburne and Sam Neill, it's like, okay, you know, it's like, a, I think that's kind of what happens is like anyone who's into those sort of sci-fi movies, it's like, this is an easy, uh, ver- you know, an easy kind of like thing to intake and like enjoy it kind of, but it just, it just ends up not as like deep as any of those movies at the end of the day. <laughs> um... Although I do like the first 30 minutes, I remember really grabbing me as a kid, especially when they play the tape and the Latin is sp- spoken and you're kind of like, what the hell happened with this ship? And like, it could it really could a ship really go into like a different like hellish dimension and then like i mean what would you know i did like that aspect of it of like not knowing what would happen if you could open up wormholes to other places that we didn't really know about so that what i thought was so cool was how they talked about that it's well where does it go between here and there and they yeah. in their mind it's like well it goes directly there but then when they test it out they realize that no it has to go somewhere and so it apparently goes through hell or hell-like dimension. And this is going to get so dorky, but I'm a comic book nerd. I was reading comic books at this time. Nightcrawler is a character who teleports, and he so happens to go through a hellish-like dimension. He doesn't realize it. It's super quick, but I won't get into that. But So it was a concept I was familiar with, but at the same time, I hadn't seen it applied to the sci-fi concept. And I thought it was so cool and so scary uh, just the concept oh you're teleporting and then oh shit you're teleporting in a fucking hell and yeah. how the fuck do you get out of that and then the also your point the video and they call it the blood orgy was it was i might have been too young when i saw this because it had a real pretty devastating effect on my psyche and but it was a really I don't know if evocative is the right word. Provocative is probably the, the uh, better yeah. word. But when it, you it, yeah, when you actually see the video, I I was uh, on rewatch. I was like, holy, like they're showing raping and all kinds of stuff, and like people's eyes are gone. It's just a crazy. It's madness. It is hell. So they, they call the blood orgy and to film it. He actually brought in amputees and pornography actors and actresses to really film. Oh, really? So I'm sure wow. what we saw we saw. There's a lot more there. They filmed it. So it was like he was really filming. I don't know what those days of filming were like. but So I think it's one of those things where it's like they probably put – we probably only saw about two to 
1% of how much work went into that scene from what I'd read, but it yeah, works because it, you could, they put so much qual it. I don't want to say high quality. It sounds gross. It's like a snuff film, but it is so scary. And so they give you just enough of everything. It's, it's awful. Like, and when you get the cleaned up version at the end and you really see what happens, it is truly just right. very disturbing. That whole, uh, that tape sequence too, remind me of the exorcist where the, like the, the priest is like late at night and he's playing the tape of the girl. And then he like starts playing it. He, he like rewinds it and he starts hearing the devil speak to him. <laughs> it just reminded me of this, like how creepy it can be to use just like a tape cassette like that. It's, yeah, I mean, they didn't really use it in that way, though. It wasn't like... No, weird. yeah, but I don't know. There's something about it, just the way that they're, like, playing the tape and then rewinding it and listening to it, and it's just, like, the most hellish like, thing you've ever heard, and it's just like, that whole idea of, like, you've kind of caught this, like, piece of evil on a tape. That's a very... Yes, yeah, yeah that's... I, I understand what you're saying. That's a very common horror trope as well, that the EVP or whatever it may be, there's a film yeah. that's coming through on videos or pictures. Yeah, that, that that's a very common trope. I... The, I liked those concepts and I like how it brought it all together. And it, it, there, you can make the argument that it is just a buffet style. They made the movie, movie buffet style or ad lib style, take you from here and there. But I actually like it and I think it works because I think they, they use the classic, it's a ship in distress out in the middle of nowhere, which is in almost every sci-fi horror film any film if there's a ship or a boat whatever oh there's a distress signal oh it's we probably shouldn't go out there let's go out there and then they get on board and this bothered me this time they get on board and they're like where's the crew and there's a deleted scene of them finding a tooth where where it's very clear that the crew is floating around them but when you watch it this time and just you can even on first time i should have caught this Where's the crew as they, they ask as they're in a room where you see the crew smeared over the walls and the skull and bones. And it's like, I think I know where they are, guys. They're not here. And we see blood everywhere. Do we think this just happened to one person? Like what? The only, the only reference there, like Lawrence Fishburne looks at that wall once and he looks back at Sam Neill and he's just like, what happened here? And that's like, I'm like, how about you guys like study this wall for a second? <laughs> so that's one of the things. And I do really like this film, but I think we should start getting into some of the gripes. Cause there's a couple here. Cause we're kind of getting into it already. <laughs> namely, well, the, <laughs> namely the investigation. So the premise of this film is that Lawrence Fishburne's crew, they're a rescue crew. This experimental ship that's supposed to teleport across interstellar space from what it disappeared seven years before and seven's a very important number when it comes to uh religion especially catholicism and it returns and when it returns it is in distress near neptune they send this crew out with the builder of the ship sam uh neil's character dr weir send them out all out to see what's going on they get out there and it is evident within two minutes of them being on the ship that shit has gone wrong. There is no one alive. And the steps they take after that blow my mind. They have a videotape. And instead of analyzing it, 
they have a guy who kind of speaks Latin listen to it. They don't do a computer analysis. At no point in this entire film does anyone speak to a computer for analysis on the video, the audio, where they are. You see them look at a readout of a ship. And I'm not saying you need AI, but there is no AI in this film, which is a pretty big blunder in terms of where we've come in technology 20 years later. My other problems where the weapon is a drill gun or a, a shoots an arrow. Like the, the weapons they had didn't match the technology. There were, there were some other things, but the, the main thing I really want to focus on is the investigation because there's another point and not to jump to the end, but actually I, I probably shouldn't, I probably shouldn't go all the way to the end. That's not. It's okay. My one thing. So with the weapon thing, there, I think that it's like you need a weapon that won't break the hull of the ship, right? So it's like I think they, I, I can't quite remember, but I mean they were a rescue team, so I agree they should have had better weapons. But like you don't want something that's gonna like blow up or like puncture the ship. So that would be my one thing. With For that. me, it was more the level of technology of their weapon. Yeah, They're running around and shooting like a little bow and arrow. And the other <laughs> thing is they they use a CD. Which gets yeah, jammed. that was funny. I found that, but yeah, it's like we're still on CDs. It was '97. CDs were already kind of on out the way, and then and then the last thing, Lawrence Fishburne has a comically slow chair that he gets in, and when they're on oh, the ship, yeah, he's just like sitting there, beep, and it's making this noise. It's just the the technology is off, and there are some other things I won't go through it, but the that was definitely like an art design thing where someone had designed that bridge with that kind of chair and they were just like no you have to sit in it because that's the way that like the art designer did it or whatever and it's like it just looked dumb and the only other thing like first of all the investigation is awful into the ship the other part is when it is clear at the end that the ship has been to hell weir <laughs> doesn't want them to leave and is insisting they stay even though it means they'll die and stark says we're getting off this ship and going home and we're says to him out loud, I am home, and slinks into the darkness, and Stark just turns his back. So watching it with that in mind, it's he deserved, he had to die. They, they, he leaves, how do they leave him? I well, just, yeah, I mean, so gripes-wise, I, I think my biggest gripe would just be like, the whole Sam Neill character, I actually think Sam Neill's pretty good for the first half of the movie, but the way they write his character... It's just not that great. And, like, you could have done it a lot smarter. You could have that character do a lot of different things. You don't have to play it the way they played it. The, well, and my other kind of gripe is the whole <laughs> the gravity drive thing, right? The thing with the three rings spinning in that room. Um, I didn't realize, like, I thought that can the whole ship pass through that? Or is it just one person at a time? Because the way it appeared, it was more like a Stargate situation. And the guy could kind of go into it with a spacesuit on. I was kind of confused about how the gravity drive worked. <laughs> to be honest, I hadn't even occurred to me until you mentioned it, but I don't think I understand it either. I, the way they described <laughs> it is it, that it would pull the ship through, but I the don't think... The way they show it, yeah, that's I, not how it goes. To do it, I don't think it would... It would literally need to be like sucked in and then sucked out on the other side in a weird, cartoonish yeah. way. I... To be honest, I, I, something tells me they didn't do too, dig too hard into the science on this one. <laughs> well, it ends up, it's like, they do it, they basically, they just they describe it one way, but then they end up doing it the Stargate way, which is like this thing lines up, and then it creates a portal that you can walk through. 
Well, so this could be, and I'm, I have a whole portion of this, so I'll save it for that. But deleted scenes, there was a lot of deleted scenes in this. The rough cut, oh, was, really? rough cut was 20 minutes, was 40, excuse me, 40 minutes longer. Um, and he... Doesn't surprise me. And he even says, so for a little background on this film, we, we dove right into it. So this is Paul W.S. Anderson's second film. The first one was Mortal Kombat. And this is going to sound, yeah, this is going to sound crazy. That movie did freaking bananas at the box office. It was made for 18 million. It made over 120 million. It did not get great reviews, but it was very popular. And it was really kind of the start of IP. People cashing all in on IP. People knew about books for years, but I think the video games. Yeah, that's true. I mean, comic books came out, Blade came out two years later, three years later. It really kind of predated all those films. And so, just, just Seth, I, so you know, I want you to know this. Paul W.S. Anderson turned down Returning to Mortal Kombat, his, his own baby, which I get why, why he wouldn't want to go back. He also turned down X-Men oh, to wow. do this film. And I think it's a good thing. I don't think he has the skill to do a good X-Men film. And I think he may have possibly destroyed the comic book industry before he got off the ground if he makes a bad X-Men film. But he really wanted to make this film and he was forced to do it in a short timeline thinking the big budget. He had four weeks to edit the film when he would normally have 10. And so his rough cut was, was really bad but it was also really intense. And people, the executives were running from the room. Some of them were running from the room vomiting. It was because they had the full blood orgy oh, scene. Oh, they had the full orgy thing. Yeah. And there's two. There's the original crew and there's extended scenes at the end. There's a much longer sequence at the end, both of the evil doctor fighting Lawrence Fishburne's captain and of them all being tortured in hell. And oh there's more deaths. There's more. You see the deaths that occur, like the vivisection. There's more. It's. Oh, I see. It's. Much more. There's yeah. There's that one where it's like the guy's skeleton ends up on the gurney and his skin's hanging above it, and they kind of show it quickly. But if you look at it, you're like, "Whoa! Like, what happened there?" I actually, not to be too sadistic, but I noticed this time they he kills him and then he vivisects him. Wouldn't a demon vivisect you and then kill you? That, that, that's the only thing I noticed. Um, Great point. But Great point. it's I, I'm really I, I'm I'm really griping. I, so, but we're sorry. All that. So they they what ended up happening was he says they made him cut way too much from the film. So it ended up, ends up being one thirty five. He, he turned in a film that was two hours and ten minutes, and ends up being an hour and thirty five minutes. I mean, to be off to be fair to those producers, though, it's like yeah, you're not making any money if you're showing that like <laughs> lordy stuff. A hundred percent, but that's like five minutes of the thirty. And so what yeah, he okay. said is that he said that um, I agree entirely. That's not, I think what they have, honestly, I always wanted to think they should have had more in hindsight. I think at least for that snuff tape scene, less is more. And I think it really just, uh, yeah. the, the, I it, mean, the way he uses it does still, it's like really effective. It's yeah. evocative. It's disturbing and it's apparently legal. So I wouldn't push it any further. Than it that. was just the right amount for me. Exactly. But, but so what one of the things that was cut was why Jack is pulled into there. So it might not have been that the drive was working effectively. 
It could have just been that it was like Mal. There could have been a whole story that oh, explained why he was pulled in and what happened. And we, the ex- explanation we get in the film is, oh, it just happened. I'm just saying there could have been something that was cut out and and that to explain it. I have to say, um, one of my favorite actors, the guy was a, like a total '90s actor, uh, Richard T. Jones. <laughs> My note in this cracks me up all the time. I remember seeing this film, and my note when I rewatched it was, I remember seeing this film. I saw it with my mom. Also, one of the reasons why I love this film is I saw it with my mom. One of the last films we saw together before I became too cool as a teenager. I remember walking out and being like, this guy, he's yeah. got it. This guy is the next Cuba Gooding Jr. I, this guy's just got that je ne sais quoi. And... He was in, uh, he was like, I, I also used to watch this movie called Renaissance Man with Danny DeVito that he was in. And he's also in Jury Duty. Uh, like, all the, like he kind of had a run there where, like, you're right. Like, he was like, oh, can he be the next, like, whatever, Wesley Snipes or something? And honestly, like, he's funny. He's charismatic in this movie, too. Like, it's a total throwaway part, but he kind of turns it into something for himself. He makes it a good role. He 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 does a good job with a little bit of material. And so one of the other things I have, just because we're still kind of on gripes, though, and not to take it away from him, but to speak to what he does great, there's inconsistent character development in that only half the characters we get to see what their hell is or what is haunting them. And he's oh, one of yeah. these characters we don't we never see. And so he doesn't get the development as anyone else, but you care more about him. And I think the only thing I can cough up they can give credit to is just his performance. He's very charismatic. Well, was, it, was he, I thought him and one of the women survived, right? Yes, Isn't he did. one of the two survivors? Yeah, but those, so, are the, those are the only two survivors who you don't see what's haunting them. Yeah, I think that had something to do with it, actually, where it's like, maybe they were like pure of soul. They didn't have these deep-seated regrets, and so they got to survive. That is a great read, but I need more. You need, you need to put that like that to me is when I give my Prometheus read and yeah. I take their, I 100%, but you're going to, they need to lay a little more groundwork. And that's probably right, in the deleted right. scene. That's probably in a deleted scene or probably, it was something that yeah. was uh, edited out. Because I, I, I remember at the end, I was paying attention. I was like, does Lawrence Fishburne survive this? And I was like, oh no, but Richard T. Jones does. And I was like, oh, and it was like Fishburne like had this regret or something that he had to deal with. Um, but I mean, yeah, I don't know if they got like, they're really trying to make that point or something, but you're right. It is, it is inconsistent. Um, uh, maybe they were just pure soul. I mean, Richard T. Jones just seemed like a good guy to me. He seemed like a good guy. And I think that's fair. And, uh, one of the scenes that is cut out and it's not the same as the rest, but there is a scene, they have it in the film where the blood breaks. It's really a homage to the shining when yeah, yeah, his yeah. character is knocked out by the blood. And what happens is there, that's a longer scene. And when she ends up falling down the pipe or the hatch and Richard T. Jones' character finds her and they run away, they're actually being chased by uh, the Sam Neill's character, the doctor, who is naked, covered in those scars, and he's crawling like a spider, taunting them. And yeah, exactly. that deleted scene is actually around. Um, there's 40 minutes of deleted scenes, as I said. Apparently, there's a VHS Somewhere one producer has a VHS, but the director and everyone else got rid of them. Oh, one of the producers has it from the screening, but everyone else destroyed it because DVDs weren't a big thing at the time. So they didn't think they would ever need it or use it again. Yeah. So, so the footage is out there, and but there are a few scenes that you can see 
and this is one of them. And the I mean, part, part of it is. I'm sure I wouldn't enjoy it, but I wouldn't mind seeing a, a few of those deleted scenes <laughs> with all the scars and stuff. The There's um, only a few... Quickly, this isn't necessarily the definitive list of deleted scenes, but the film at two and a half or two over two hours, it was, you were going to get more, you were going to get a scene with Sam Neill's character meeting with his bosses, and they're going to get more background on the actual ship, what happened to the crew. The, you meet the, you're supposed to meet the crew in a different way. You were going to get more, each character apparently had, at least the characters we mentioned, the ones who were haunted, all of them, from what I've seen, had at least one more or extended scenes of their hauntings or, or an additional haunting. Yeah. You were, you were really going to get more. There was a couple more scenes with Sam Neill's character and his wife's suicide. And I think that was supposed to help develop and explain you... his turn more. And then there was the, a lot of it was there's the more hell scenes for the first crew. There's supposed to be a longer fight with Sam Neill and Lawrence Fishburne at the end. And a much longer sequence of him seeing his like their potential future in hell. Do you think Sam Neill wanted to do this movie, or like what? Like I, I just think I don't know what he was thinking taking this role. Can I? Have you ever seen The Mouth of Madness? I don't. I don't think so. So The Mouth of Madness came out before this, and Seth, it came out in nineteen ninety four. And I think the only way to describe it is batshit fucking crazy. And I think I love it. It is a John Carpenter film. We actually should talk about it. I, I think you would like it. But where I'm going with this is it has... His character has a similar break. Sorry, spoiler alert. In the Mouth of Madness is part of Carpenter's Apocalypse trilogy, which I actually love, which is The Thing and Prince of Darkness. We've talked about Thing here. Oh, Prince yeah, of Darkness, right. I also, that's really underrated. In the Mouth of Madness, I think is very good. I think Sam Neill is a little crazy. And I think he <laughs> likes being, I think he likes playing the villain. And I think he plays a good villain. He also plays the villain in Peaky Blinders. I th- he's got a little, he's got a little villain. He's pretty in. good in Peaky Blinders. I liked him in that show. Me too. So I like him. I think he ended up doing a lot more TV than movies. Yeah, I. But did he want to do this film? I think after Jurassic Park, I honestly think he thought he was going to have a different career. I think so too. I mean, I just don't think I don't think the five years after Jurassic Park played out the way he thought they were going to. <laughs> no, I'm looking at his films now. I mean, In the Mouth of Madness, which I've heard of, but no one else did, didn't make any money. <laughs> Using the Jungle Book, which was good, but that's not. That doesn't compare to Jurassic Park. This was his next big movie, and it was a flop. Snow White, Tale of Terror is actually a pretty good film, but didn't do well. Yeah, no, I mean, he just... I actually remember him in Bicentennial Man. <laughs> <laughs> no, he... But that tells you a lot. Yeah, he's had an interesting career. Honestly, him not being in the second Jurassic Park was the biggest mistake he made. I agree. I, he so should have been. Like, uh, Goldblum, too. It's like... No, Goldblum I'm, was in the second Jurassic Park. You're right. He is. <laughs> you're right. Uh, that was Goldblum's mistake. Goldblum should have left, and Sam Neill should have stayed. Because Goldblum didn't need it, and Sam Neill clearly did. Sam Neill should have been in that second movie, for sure. Uh, uh, I don't know, though. It's just, it's weird that, like... It's weird to me that he's in this movie. It's weird... Uh, I, this, like I hear what you're saying. I think he, you're right. He probably knows how to play a villain well. I just think it's like 
I really just don't like the writing of his character in this movie. They really just they make him too evil too quickly, and they don't give any other like uh, avenues. And it's like they're giving him the backstory with his wife, but they don't even give him a hint of overcoming it. It's just like he descends into hell, and it never really makes sense other than like he likes his ship because he made the gravity drive. It's like I don't get why he wants to go into hell. I'm not gonna argue with you because I can't. It's it really <laughs> ill. It's ill con. I'm gonna say ill conceived, but it's ill defined. And when I was younger, the sheer horror, I remember being really scared when he's climbing through the corridor or the vent and it's that flashing green. And for me, the horror, it covered up the, the gap in the story. But no, it's 100%. Uh, I, I got a couple of thoughts on how they could improve the film, but we, we talked about emotion. We recently talked about Sleepy Hollow and how that film was lacking a certain heart or emotion. This film has some heart with Lawrence Fishburne. And I think, as we said, with some of these other side characters, so like especially the survivors, but yeah. it, this relationship between the wife and Sam Neill was supposed to be the heart of the, the heart of the film. And it, I, I just, it's not working for me. It's yeah. A, it's, it's a no for me dog. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I don't need any, it, the whole thing is just kind of like that, that honestly feels like the weakest part of the movie where it's like, if you could improve that backstory with Sam Neill and make his character make more sense when he does turn evil or whatever, like that would fix a lot of problems for me and probably elevate the movie to another level where it's just like they make, they send him into this like crazy monster from hell. Uh, it just doesn't, it doesn't play the right way. <laughs> I agree. It just, this cast, I uh, just to set out like you're, this is an interesting cast. Sean Pertwee became a real big, he's a real, he's a great actor. He does movie and TV now. He's more of a bigger TV guy, but, but he does a lot of stuff. Kathleen Quinlan was coming off starring some some big films at, coming into this film i'm just looking at at her now in terms of the film she was doing um the doors apollo 13 the breakdown you're talking about uh lawrence fishburne um yeah Fishburne, I, like early in his career, I think he was trying to win Oscars and stuff, uh, and like he was, you know, uh, trying to trying to be like a Denzel or something. But I think after Matrix, he he kind of changed his viewpoint on his career and stuff. And I think like this, honestly, at Horizon is kind of like a a stepping stone into his Matrix role. I think. Yeah, I'm sorry. I also realized I've been calling Stark. Fishburne was Miller, and Jolie Richardson was Stark. So the blonde woman was Stark. Fishburne was Miller. Um, no, totally hear you. Um, is there anything else we want to talk about? We've pretty much touched on on everything. I, I, I have one or two questions, but I, I, I pretty much touched on almost everything that, <laughs> that I wanted to. Uh, I think... <laughs> yeah, I think it's just like... Uh, the other thing I would say is like... It was... A, again, it's like... Some, these, some of these 90s movies are just distinctly 90s for some reason. And this... Uh, from the music to, to the settings uh, and everything about it, it's just like... Even if... Uh, I, I could not mistake it for any other decade of filmmaking. <laughs> I think that's a great way to describe it. And I'm, I have a hard time. It's like porn. I don't know what it is exactly, but I know it when I see it. Yeah. Quick question for you. Did the survivors make it back to Earth? Or was that next ship haunted? Oh, they, yeah, they kind of pull that whole thing at the end. Um, I I like to think that uh, <laughs> Richard T. Jones made it back uh, 
uh, he's, he seemed to be okay. Although, you know, it's like they pull off that guy's mask and he's in hell. I think that's like they're playing on the dream within the dream thing. So, in my mind, Richard T. Jones at least makes it. My, my thought, too, is, uh, yeah, one of them makes it back. Um, all right. Sequel. Would you see it? Uh, I would. Like, Event Horizon 2, they go back for both ships, kind of. Yeah. Well, okay. Okay. Now, that, that kind of plays into my next question. Seth, you can call this a reboot or the sequel. It can be whatever, another ship. Mm. What if I tell you if in this next retelling or story, we go a little differently? And instead of just making it obvious that the ships possessed earlier, it's more of a, is someone sabotaging us? Is there a survivor on the trip we, ship we don't know about? Or is this ship really haunted? I feel like they could have played the Yeah. And like, I watched the trailer for this film because I was wanting to remember how they, they give everything away in the trailer. So I'm not surprised this didn't do well because it's a good movie, but the trailer gives everything away and there is no mystery. Like the film is set up for there to be mystery but it's edited in a way where there is no mystery. And I just, it worked for me for all the horror elements, but I feel like they could have had a really good tension with this almost like unreliable narrator. Is it? Oh yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I would have, I would have played more with that aspect of like, are we in reality? Are we dreaming? Like, uh, are we in hell? Like, are we on a shit? Like I would have played a lot more with that aspect of it. Cause that, the whole, the whole like psychosis that like Lawrence Fishburne is starting to feel toward the end of it was kind of interesting. Where it's like he's trying to get out of this place, but it keeps playing like tricks on his head and stuff. And it's like that aspect to me was pretty interesting. So I think you're right. I would have toned, I would have like tuned that up a little. So this is my last question. The ship I saw it as the ship was part of hell. Like when they were in the ship, part of that. Like they weren't fully in hell, but. Wasn't the idea that the ship brought hell back with it? I think to, to, in, in my eyes, it was like the, sh- the ship was the gateway to hell. And like that one guy went through and like saw it and then they pulled him back and he was like had a seizure or whatever. Um, but it's like basically they were in the gateway. And so some stuff had like come out and like, you know, but it's like I think hell was like through that gravity drive thing. Okay. Okay. Um, th- that's it for my questions. Yeah, the only, the only thing, I, I just thought they should have made it. I think they make it with a little more tension. It doesn't need to be a Cold War spy thriller, but they should have built up about, and also we should have seen all the characters, demons, or they should have explained why some people had them, some people didn't. And I think a better move, don't have it be Sam Neill's character. Have it be the mom. Have it be someone else who ends up turning crazy and turning on everyone. And I think the sabotage should have been sprinkled throughout the film so it would have been that who is sabotaging it and so then when you find out who it is then it's a surprise i like that i like that that's a better screenplay jake so i approve that i also think you know if you really want to play you know look at all the mind games stuff grab up a chair and watch uh solaris for like three and a half hours change your life <laughs> yeah it's, a, it's gonna be a no for me dog uh russian drama three and a half hours no thanks uh, and also i read the wikipedia so i know what happened that's a, that's, a, that's a no but but maybe but no um all right i'm ready for final scores in you are final scores uh boy hard hard uh there's definitely a lot of nostalgia points for me um the acting like honestly i i kind of like sam neil for about 30 minutes and then he's awful for about 45 plus minutes richard t jones is solid throughout 
Fishburne I like throughout. The cat, yeah, I mean, Isaacs is good too. You're right. Um, I'm okay with all those guys. The directing and the editing, I'll give this guy points for like dipping his toe into a hell orgy because you don't hear that phrase in many movies. And so I'll give him some, some points for that. South Park has built a whole parody off it with their evil woodland critters sex orgy, death orgies. It's, it's, oh, be, really? it's, be, yeah, it's, it's become part of the, the culture. Okay. Um, in a good way. Sorry, not in a good way. But you know what I'm saying. It's like entered the mainstream consciousness. I think I'm going to come in at like a six where it's like, it's a good movie if you're like with a friend getting stoned or something and you just need something late at night. You know, it's like, it's a, it's a good movie to like get you through that kind of a situation. And a great Halloween movie. You're looking for something scary you haven't seen before. Yeah. It'll give you some thrills. Yeah, for me, Seth, there's only one score to give it. And I'm a little surprised you didn't give it this. Six six six, <laughs> all the way down the line. It's uh, <laughs> I like it. I like that score, Jake. It's uh, I, I thought I would give it higher. Looking at it now, the actual characters in this film are so dumb. It's clearly something <laughs> awful happens within the first five minutes they're on the ship, and then it just they make the mistake of every horror film where they go down that corridor they follow yeah. that noise and when it's a little too obvious yeah and oh you really think your son on earth is in this hell ship so you're gonna go chase him down there okay it just yeah. there's too many of those and when you're you're younger the first time you're seeing it I, you'll be caught up in everything else because it's a really well-made movie in terms of setting that the cgi is dated but like there's great setting to your point like they're really going all in so it will. It has enough atmosphere to bring you in, and the concept I think to bring you in. But when you're looking at it with a critical eye, you're going to ask yourself. You're going to realize that this crew probably should never shouldn't be alive because if they're this dumb, you kind of wonder how they ever survived in the first place. So, and that's really harsh. But I'm giving it a six six. I think it's well put. It, the horror, the horror aspect. I think really just like. It, it brings enough of the horror to, I think, make up for a lot of the other issues. And then Lawrence Fishburne's doing a great job. Same, I like the weird character, but uh, yeah, it's it's two performances. Uh, I think he hooks me, and then the ship takes over for the rest. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. Uh, all right, I like it. Uh, yeah. 6.0 for me, 6.666 for Jake. <laughs> it was fun. Event Horizon... If it is a movie, if you see it on cable, you just kind of stop and you're like, I'm going to go with this. <laughs> Let me see where this ad goes. Ends up the same place every time. Hell! <laughs> Coming from goodbye from Jake and Seth. You want to say anything to your friends, your fans? Goodbye, everybody. They didn't get the message, sorry. <laughs>